This is Sports in the 90s with your hosts, Dave Smith and Carlos Vega. I break bread with the Hennessy one. Welcome to another episode of Sports in the 90s, a 90s sports history podcast covering everything in the world of sports from January 1st, 1990 until December 31st, 1999. My name is Dave Smith, and with me is my co-host, Carlos Vega. Greetings. What's up, man? Well, you know. Salutations. Yeah, salutations, my friend. Uh, same old, same old. Can't complain, man. Another bright, sunny, beautiful day in California. How, uh, how's Chicago? I hear you guys got some good weather out there. Yeah, it was nice this weekend. No complaints over here, which it just a rare thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> the weather in Chicago. You know, Dave, it's a shame that I couldn't enjoy that weather with you too, man, because uh, I was planning on coming home last week and unfortunately caught a case of COVID-19 right before I was going to leave. So, you know, I was this past week for me, it's just been, I was just kind of resting and recovering was no joke. You know, I uh, definitely was bedridden for a couple of days there, but thankfully I feel much better. I've got uh, those super antibodies now and, um, you know, thankful to be six feet above ground. You know what I mean? No, it's great. Yeah, you're feeling better. That's that's awesome, man. So I'm glad you're, you're feeling better. Yeah, I had a good weekend. I uh, went to another Wolves game, the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're, kicking, yeah. they're kicking tail in the playoffs, I see. They really are, yeah. They they won in overtime, which was awesome. So that was really exciting to see that. Right on, yeah, man. The Wolves, they I think they reached out to us as well. Um, they sent a, I forgot to tell you, but they sent us an email. Uh, so I have to they did okay. Forward that I've, to you. I've had regular correspondence. Yeah, I've had regular correspondence with one of the with one of the guys, and um, I'm glad he reached out. Yeah, yeah, because I, I specifically sent that email of sports in the '90s just so I got. You know, correspondence with somebody in the Wolves organization because they're a great, great organization overall. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's great. I'm glad they won playoff hockey. Nothing like it, man. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of sports on yesterday. There were NBA Finals, yeah. Cubs Cardinals, Cubs blew it, of course, in the ninth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are you gonna do? Hey, they're rebuilding, man. It's a rebuilding here. Uh, the big game that I watched Sunday was earlier in the day was Ukraine versus Wales for the final spot in final European spot in the World Cup. Um, that's right. Yeah, you were texting me about that. I didn't get a chance to watch it. What, what, uh, what I ended up happening, man, that's huge for both countries, right? I mean, like... Wales ended up winning one to nothing. I'll obviously, obviously, a lot of people were rooting for Ukraine, but uh, it was a big deal for Wales because this is the first time that they're in the World Cup since 1958. So it was a big deal for Wales. And it was really classy, the Wales, uh, the Welsh people, that they had a bunch of refugees from Ukraine living in Wales and they gave them free tickets to the game. So they had a whole section of uh, Ukrainian fans cheering for the team, which was, I thought was really cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, the, uh, a lot of sports going on. Speaking of which, man, it's uh, almost summertime. So that means, I mean, we're getting towards uh, 1990. We're still in that realm, right? So mm-hmm. there's got a, there's a, a World Cup happening pretty soon. There think, is. Right? And that brings us to our next episode where we are currently at the 1990 World Cup held in Italy. The biggest sporting event on the planet, the World Cup. Dude, I, I got to say, man, I'm not well-versed on the soccer front here, be it, be it as it may. I know we're one of the 
sometimes I'm not going to know bits and pieces of the story. This is going to be one of those stories that you have, you know, you, you're going to be telling the majority of it, my friend. So I'm just going to sit back along with the ride and sort of, you know, comment as I as I did with as far as watching, rewatching some of those YouTube highlights because mm-hmm. I don't specifically remember this World Cup. I admittedly am not much of a soccer fan, at least wasn't back then, but I probably should have been. Turns out, Dave, my dad was like really, really, really awesome at soccer. Like, nice. He could have played professionally in Mexico. Wow. Uh, and instead of playing soccer, my parents decided to come here instead. Okay. So, you know, I sometimes wonder like, well, what if I, you know, grew up in Mexico? I mean, shoot, I might have not even been born at that. You know, my parents decided to go that route. But mm-hmm. um, they, they came here with Nestor. They came here with my brother when he was like one. And uh, yeah, he wanted a better life. So, yeah, my dad never really showed me his, his talents uh, as a youth. I got more into the American sports and baseball and basketball and, and things like that. But okay. let's, uh, let's talk some soccer, brother. Yeah, it's fitting that um, our story begins in Mexico four years earlier at the 1986 World Cup. Yeah, dude, that that World Cup is incredible as well. That's uh, mm-hmm. Maradona is has a statue in front of Azteca Stadium because of that World Cup, right? Oh yeah, so well, eventually, yeah, eventually. Yeah, Argentinian national team and their captain, Diego Armando Maradona, who many consider the greatest soccer player of all time. Or is it footballer? What is? Uh, see, I'm not much... Uh, I'm still a relatively newer fan in terms of soccer. I've watched it back in the 90s a little bit, but I don't remember this one specifically. But I think for the... T- yeah. For this episode, I think Carlos and I were kind of used the term soccer and football interchangeably. Yeah, I think it depends on where you're where you live, right? Like I think right. uh, footballer might be just more an Americanized term. Mm-hmm. Then again, I don't know. I, I could be way off on that. I don't. Know. <laughs> the English invented the game as we know it, so they call it football. But some some right. Hispanic countries call it football, or you know, some people right. do call it soccer. So just like I said, for this episode, we'll use it, the terms football and soccer kind of interchangeably for sure for sure yeah not to be confused with you know american uh, american football yeah that would that's the uh, correct vernacular so argentina on their way to win the world cup beat england in the quarterfinals now this game was memorable for two reasons the hand of god and the goal of the century those two being goals scored by diego maradona within four minutes of each other in the second half now, the hand of God may be one of the most controversial goals in the history of the sport. Yeah, I'm not familiar, Dave. I mean, I remember seeing the highlight, but I don't remember, you know, I don't understand the significance of it. Why is this play called the hand of God, first of all? So Diego Maradona scored Argentina's first goal with a header, or what appeared to be his head, but in actuality, his hand was above his head and it tipped it in, thus the nickname the hand of God. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. So that the goal that like he's famous for in that game. There's two goals he's famous for. That's one of them. Right. So that's the that one. That one actually touched his hand. His hand. Like, yeah. but replay back then didn't have sort of the same capabilities, right? Right. Have now. Yeah. So, so. From, the re- from the ref's angle, I thought it maybe hit it. The English immediately protested the goal, but uh, sure. indicating that Maradona touched the ball with his hand. Nevertheless, it was ruled a good goal, and it was funny. He was I was watching the interview, and he kind of later admitted that, yeah, his hand did touch it. He did? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like Tom Brady admitting just recently where he's like, that play, it might have been a fumble. 
<laughs> right. Oh man. Yeah. No. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome that he would admit it. Though. I mean, yeah. Not right. Cool. Yeah. I don't so think would, would do that in his situation, buddy. Mm-hmm. So it was ruled a good goal, but just about four minutes later, Diego Maradona scored a goal that looked like something out of a movie. Now this is the goal of the century. This is no doubt a goal. Down, he gets a pass around midfield and maneuvers his way around the whole team single-handedly to score. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And, uh, you know, for those of you that are familiar, I highly recommend watching it. And then and if you can, find the Spanish announcing version because it is absolutely yes. tremendous call. It's one of the greatest football calls you'll ever hear. It really is. And goal calls in Spanish are just so much better. <laughs> They're just way more passionate about it, man. More they passionate, fucking love that shit. They the way the language it. rolls off the tongue and just they're just better at it <laughs> dude I, I, I rewatched it again last night and he goes he goes quiere llorar like that means in spanish that means i want to cry like that's how <laughs> awesome this goal was you know and he said perdoname like pardon me like he is apologizing for how passionate he's being it is mm. Absolutely awesome. It's one of the greatest calls ever. That goal is awesome. But go ahead. So he, yeah, gets the ball at midfield, goes past everybody, scores his awesome goal past the goalkeeper. Yeah, it's really and something. And the, the, the announcer can, can, can barely believe it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so cool. Yeah, the 1986 final would have Argentina faced West Germany. And Argentina scored the first two goals of the final, but Germany answered back in the second half with two goals to tie it. But it would be a goal by... Jorge Buruchaga at the 83-minute mark that would seal it for Argentina. Nice pronunciation, Dave. I try and I'm yeah, still learning. Yeah. I'm I'm learning Spanish and poquito and poquito. I'm learning, yeah, little by little, and I'm trying to really get it down and not sound so white. Fabian Mio. Yes, yes. It would be the second World Cup title for Argentina. The first being in 1978 on their home soil. Now, 116 countries entered in the qualifying for the 1990 World Cup with two spots reserved for Argentina, the defending champion, and Italy, the host country. So that leaves 22 spots available for 103 countries competing to get a spot. Now, Mexico and Chile were disqualified from this World Cup. Mexico was disqualified for fielding overage players in the 1988 Under-20 tournament. That's the uh, C-O-N-C-A-C-A-F. That's the Confederation of North, Central American, and Caribbean Association Football. For those of you unfamiliar, that's all the teams in that geographic location Thank in you. the world. Computer yeah, computer. I wasn't sure what. I've, I've seen that abbreviation before, but I didn't know if that's what it meant. All right. So they, so Mexico and, yeah, they in Chile, were, they were out of it, huh? So, yeah, the under-20 tournament, they fielded overage players. Now, how did Chile get disqualified? That's a little more interesting of a story. At the 67-minute mark, a fan threw a flare onto the pitch, otherwise known as the field, threw a flare onto the pitch that landed near Chilean goaltender Roberto Rojas. And what happened next is considered one of the most shameful events in the history of Chilean football. Now, Rojas, nicknamed El Condor, faked being injured by the flare. There, oh, that's a... Now, how did he do that? Just like a wrestler, he had a razor blade <laughs> in his sock the whole game, and he cut himself. No way. What? Yeah. That is, that's the awesome. The culture of South American football is win at all costs, and I don't know what he was planning to do besides the flair, but I think he took the flair as that, uh, that opportunity. 
So there was no TV coverage for this game, but plenty of newspaper photographers on hand. And once it was clear that the flare landed a foot and a half behind Rojas, nowhere near him, then the Chilean team was disqualified from the 1990 and 1994 World Cup games. Dang, dude. Yeah, and Rojas was banned for life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Say what you will about like the fans for throwing a uh, you know flare onto the field for starters, but if you're you know a footballer and you're on the field when that happened, I mean I'd probably try and do the same thing that Rojas did too. I mean let's be honest, it's like you're in a hostile environment. The guy clearly was worried for his safety; he had freaking razors on him. Yeah, yeah. So originally that was yeah. I mean there's a huge rivalry between those two countries, and originally they had them walk out together. So that people wouldn't throw stuff. Yeah. But one of the teams ended up running out first, just to spite the other team. And, you know, chaos ensues in the middle of the game. That happens. And then, man, that's that's wild. It's like us Americans, we think we're nuts about sports. It's like, we're not even. Nah, man. Go to South America, play some football. All right. Now, out of the 24 teams that qualified for the World Cup, 14 were from Europe, four from South America, two from Asia two from Africa, and two from North and Central America. It would be the first World Cup appearance for Costa Rica, the United Arab Emirates, and the Republic of Ireland. Now, the final draw was to determine which teams were going to be in what groups. The top six seeded teams were Italy, Argentina, Brazil, West Germany, Belgium, and England. So those are the top six teams, right? Right. So then the final draw show itself was held on December eighth, nineteen eighty nine, and Italy went all out. They on this on the selection show on the on the final draw show, like so. You had all star lineup making those selections, like Sophia Loren, Pele, Pavarotti. Wait, so what is this selection show for? Because I like I I'm not familiar with how this works, Dave. But like, isn't it kind of like a draft lottery situation where they like it really is. take balls, right? Yeah. So Sepp Blatter, the president of FIFA at the time, announced the selections. Now here's how the groups were selected: each seeded team was put into one of the six groups, right? Uh-huh. And then they right. drew, and then there's three lots of six teams depending on how they're ranked. So the second-ranked teams, third-ranked teams, and fourth-ranked teams were in each lot. And then they drew to see which lot would get chosen first. So this is they're trying to be as fair and impartial as it is. So stay with me on this. So <laughs> That sounds like yeah. a lot already. <laughs> the remaining teams were put into yeah, three pools of six teams. Pool one, yeah. two, and three were the second, third, and fourth-ranked teams. Right. Pool right. three was selected first, which were the fourth ranked teams <laughs> <laughs> so all the fourth I'm all still the with you. were ranked fourth were selected first now the first selection usa usa nice. we're number one in being <laughs> selected to be in group a to play against <laughs> uh, that's great that's fantastic of course yeah no we're number one to be randomly selected to play against Italy. So it really is not a victory for the USA in that aspect. It's like just an instant L. And then there's another draw to determine the playing order in the group. Now, actually, USA drew number four, so they played Italy last. So they got to be in the group with Italy, but they don't have to play them until the other uh, other two teams play them first. Yeah, a lot of time to, to think about that loss, that upcoming loss. Right, so then it went on to groups so they would do 
Yeah, all the groups in so one team for each group. So they in A. So USA was in Group A, and then they from that lot they choose Group B, C, D, E, F, and then they the next two pools got picked in that same order. And so the people that were uh, selecting these balls were like celebrities, like you said, like Sophia Loren and Pele and yeah, Bobby Moore. There's a whole bunch of like soccer legends. Some people I didn't recognize, but uh, yeah, it's like Pele would like put the ball out. Like people go nuts. Yeah, it was like a yeah. huge selection show. So Italy really went all out with this. Nice. Now, the opening ceremony took place in Milan. Now, it included performances of the official songs of the World Cup. They got two official songs, right? So, you got it. the song in Italian was Unastate Italiana by Gianna Nanini and Edardo Benato. And the song in English was To Be Number One by Giorgio Moroder Project. Typical, you could expect, of 1990s pop kind of rock, light rock. Well, Giorgio Moroder, he most recently, Daft Punk, on their album. He's featured prominently on that album, that most recent oh. uh, Daft Punk. Oh, nice. So, know you know, hmm, yeah, there you go. So, like, that's that sound. Yeah. And, like, we talk about it a lot on that album. Hmm. You know, sort of dub out that sound. Nice. So, so yeah, yeah, so you had them performing, and then you had on the field, you had a giant soccer ball in the center circle with smaller balls of each of the country's flags on them. So you had women come out with each country's flag while also wearing the flag's designs themselves. After that, you had women from each continent walk out wearing clothing from their respective countries. Now, there were four women from Africa that I couldn't help notice because they were wearing the cone tops like Madonna was wearing. What country were they from? Well, I don't know because each continent came out together, so they weren't separated by country. They were walking together from each continent and then wearing clothes from the different countries of the continent so i couldn't tell which specific country they were from and yet when i googled when did madonna start wearing the cone top it makes sense because madonna premiered that cone top just two months earlier in japan yeah with the times yeah (laughs) so all these women were now on the field for the big finale which would include the milan philharmonic known as philharmonica della scala the giant soccer ball was released into the air as well as each flag was opened to release balloons while the Milan Philharmonica played. Now, conducting the Philharmonica della Scala was Ricardo Muti. Does that name sound familiar, Carlos? Ricardo Muti? Uh, I'm guessing it probably should. Uh... You probably have seen the video of him wearing a Blackhawks jersey conducting Chelsea Dagger because Ricardo Muti is the conductor of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you remember? That, that makes when sense. They, yeah, I think it was like 2013 when they were in it, and they had a video of him wearing a tape jersey, and he's conducting the Chicago Symphony Orchestra mm-hmm. playing Chelsea Dagger. Because <laughs> I'm watching I'm watching the opening ceremonies, so I'm like, is that, is that Ricardo Muti? And then the Italian announcers were like, da 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 Ricardo Muti. I was like, ah, that is him. Wow, no that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's it that is awesome so on to the group stage where the top two teams in each group advance to the knockout stage or stage of 16 the four remaining spots go to the highest point total among the third place teams teams are awarded two points for a win one point for a draw and zero points for a loss 
This was the first World Cup to be broadcast in HDTV, high-definition television, by the Italian broadcaster RAI in association with Japan's NHK. I'm assuming it's Japan who had the technology back then. Probably. But, I mean, that probably that HDTV would have came in handy in 86, the hand of God goal, you know? Yeah, it could have. It really could have came in handy right? then. That would have made a world of a difference. Like if they had it just four years ago, <laughs> yeah. that might have, you know, changed the course of history. You never know. Yeah, it's one of those what big what ifs. Yeah, that's funny. Now, Group A had Italy, Czechoslovakia, Austria, and the United States. Host nation Italy won all three of their matches in the group stage, while Czechoslovakia won two. The USA made it to their first World Cup since 1950, but were defeated in all three matches. Yeah. Group B had Cameroon. Yeah, it just they just really don't go far. I mean, I don't know if you, I don't know if we wanted to touch on that at all, but like, <laughs> this is 1990. U.S. soccer is not at all relevant at all on the world stage. I mean, that's not even not trying to be dismissive of U.S. soccer. It's just in 1990, that wasn't one of the sports that people were like, "Oh, let's go and see a soccer game." You know what I mean? Like, right. indoor soccer was it more. It just popular. was not that popular. Yeah, and like exactly. Yeah, in the 80s, indoor soccer was more popular than regular soccer. <laughs> like Chicago Sting when they yeah. played at Rosemont, and I. I mean, you could even argue that rollerblading and skating skateboarding was more popular in 1990 in america than soccer was yeah so needless to say they lost their their first three games and they were out of the tournament pretty quickly right yeah it wouldn't be till four years later that soccer would actually be popular in america because how could you miss it when the world cup and that 94 i remember that i do i mean that world cup was a lot of fun because Mm -hmm. it was here right it was in uh, it was in the u.s uh, la right well, it was all over the place. So, like, opening ceremony was... It was all over, yeah, right? Yeah, it was, like, a, at least a half dozen venues. So, like, opening ceremony was at Soldier Field in Chicago. But I think, like, the championship game was at the Rose Bowl or uh, LA Memorial Coliseum. And then they had a bunch of different venues. Yeah, right on, dude. Yeah, so... Uh, anyway. Yeah, Group B had Cameroon, Romania, Argentina, and the Soviet Union. Cameroon surprised everyone by beating Argentina one to nothing in their first match. Yeah, they did. That was a great match. Did you watch that? That I watched a little bit of the highlights. I don't think I couldn't find a whole full game of that one. I watched one of Cameroon's. I've watched a bunch of highlights. It would be in Cameroon's second match when a star would emerge. Roger Miller, the 38-year-old who came out of retirement because the president of Cameroon pleaded with him to play in the World Cup. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, man, you gotta help us beat these mother. Yeah, you know? it's like, all right, you gotta help us beat. We have to beat Argentina. Just come on, man. Right. Worked out for them. Just one time, do it for the Gipper. <laughs> so that worked out for them as Cameroon yeah. made it past the group stage along with Argentina and Romania. Dude, Cameroon was fast. When you watch some of these highlights of this Cameroon team, they were just like oh, way faster with the football than like some of these teams. I think they took a lot of people by surprise. They really did. Yeah, they're just an exciting team to watch. Yeah, a lot of energy in that team. Group C had Brazil and Costa Rica advance, whereas Scotland and Sweden did not. Group D featured West Germany, Yugoslavia, Colombia, and the United Arab Emirates. And had the most goals of all because West Germany's wins over Yugoslavia and the United Arab Emirates, where they beat them 4-1 to and 5-1. to The United Arab Emirates were the only team eliminated in that group and have not been back to a World Cup since. Yikes. 
Group E had Spain, Belgium, Uruguay, and South Korea, with South Korea being the only team that didn't advance. Group F had England, the Republic of Ireland, the Netherlands, and Egypt. England played all of their matches on the island of Sardinia. Why? Because of hooligans. That's why. Really? Yep. It was so bad in the 80s. Like, the fans were so rowdy. It was so bad that British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher was even considering withdrawing England's spot in the 1990 World Cup. It was, it really? was getting that out of hand. Yeah, England's reputation Dang. to the world was not a good one at that time. That's crazy. How close do you think she was to actually, like, really pulling him out? Like, I don't think so. I think it was probably more of a... It was just like a, a veiled threat? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think you would have had a riot on your hands if that happened. If you hold against... Don't behave yourselves. I don't know. That's my that's my best. Uh, that's not bad. British Prime Minister, Iron, Iron Lady. You know what's funny about this group? Three teams advanced to the knockout stage, but with one win combined for all three teams. One win amongst all three of those teams, and they all advanced. So England went one, two, and zero, oh, with the group's only win beating Egypt one to nothing. While the Netherlands and the Republic of Ireland each had three draws. So out of the five matches in the group round robin, four of them were draws. Round robin meaning every team plays every other team in the group once. Yeah. Wow. So Yeah, they kind of changed the rules after that. On to the knockout stage. The round of 16 began on June 23, 1990. Now, the second match of the day had Czechoslovakia beating Costa Rica 4-1. But it was the first match that caught everyone's attention. Cameroon defeated Colombia in extra time when Roger Milla, at 38 years of age, became the oldest player to score a goal in the World Cup. He scored two goals against Romania in the group stage and scored two goals against Colombia to advance to the quarterfinals. Now, every time Roger Milla scored a goal, he would go over to the corner and do a little dance. Yeah, that little, you have like a little shimmy. Yeah, this dance yeah, was, has was been good. done by countless players since, but it was Roger Milla who started that craze. Yeah, it did. It was, it was infectious. It really was, yeah. It's a fun little... Yeah. Just a little. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it's like one of the dances in Fortnite nowadays, you know what I mean? Oh sure, I'm, I'm yeah. It's kind of a, a global crossover. Appeal. They seem to steal every other dance move that's been ever been invented. So, that's funny. yeah, that's right. I'm throwing shots at Fortnite. Strays, what? Sue me. I don't know. I've never played. Sue me, not Dave though. Yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. I, I, I don't... You're like, keep me out of this, bro. I, I have no idea who this guy is. <laughs> what are strays? Why are you no, shooting yeah, them? I have no idea what. Yeah, my nephew would know. He'd play. Plays Fortnite or so. Uh, yeah, next, did you? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a gamer. I'm not a gamer. That's a whole world I do not. Understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll take over uh, for the Madden episode. I'll steer you in the right direction with Madden. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> the next day, the first game was held in Turin and had defending champion Argentina facing their most bitter rival, Brazil. Argentina won one to nothing. The match between the Netherlands and West Germany got a little confrontational. At around the 20-minute mark, Rudy Voller of West Germany was tripped by Frank Reichardt after Voller got up, and after Voller got up, Reichardt spit on him. Yeah. yeah, dirty. Yeah, the refs didn't see it, and when Voller confronted Rickard, 
Rudy Voller was given a yellow card. Yeah, it's always the second guy. It's always that's how it goes. <laughs> that's how it goes, man. <laughs> like the refs, yeah, they see you then, and then yeah. and he's like, "All right, fine." So he just went on, ran back, and continued on with the game. Right then, right. about a minute later, Rudy Voller got caught up with the goaltender. Nothing intentional, but he just kind of got tripped up one of those plays. But as Voller jogged away, Reichardt spit on him again. Oh, I mean, that's so, that's you're fighting at that point, bro. If you spit on me twice, right? It, we are right. we are going with fisticuffs. Right. It was a full-on confrontation at that point, and both men were sent out of the match. Now, both men played against each other professionally in Italy. Reichardt for Milan and Voller for Roma. So it may have been a you know past history there. History. The them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they probably were. Yeah, they probably yeah. hate each other's guts, bro. Right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, West Germany would go on to win 2-1 to one and surpass Brazil for the most World Cup matches played at all time with 67. That was quite an accomplishment West Germany. Yeah. On the next day, the first match was held in Genoa, in which the Republic of Ireland beat Romania 0-0. Zero zero. Wait, and you're like, wait, what? Actually, the match went scoreless after extra time, and Ireland won in the penalty shootout 5-4. to four. Yeah, I was going to say that. So. <laughs> a little asterisk next to that 0-0. You're zero, like, zero. wait, wait, what? Wait, what? Huh? <laughs> it's just funny that you, know, uh, you, see that, you see that score, and you're like, wait, no, that's oh, that's how they won. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. But that's the way you know, Dave, uh, What's up? What's up? You know, I was going to say, too, one of the other things, too, yeah, that the host country, Italy, uh, that I think was, is, is nice to point out is just how awesome these football stadiums are. Oh, yeah. Like some of these venues. stadiums can hold, you know, 70,000 people, but like absolutely stunning stadiums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Italy was a really awesome host country for this, this sport. Oh, for sure. This one in particular. I know you kind of like went over that Argentina-Italy match, but like those were two like powerhouse teams in this tournament, and mm-hmm. Argentina kind of just squeaked one out, pretty tight game, and and then they scored they scored a goal on Italy that could have gone either way, right? That game could have gone yeah Italy's way just as easily. So yeah, so Italy would play their next match at Stadio Olimpico in Rome and beat Uruguay two to nothing. Now, the last two matches of the round of 16 had Yugoslavia beating Spain 2-1 and England beating Belgium 1-0 in extra time. The quarterfinals began four days later in Florence when Argentina beat Yugoslavia in extra time after a shootout 3-2. Italy again, playing in Rome, beat Ireland 1-0. Now, it's, it's worth noting that the Republic of Ireland made it all the way to the quarterfinals by scoring just two goals in regulation time the whole world cup yeah that's pretty amazing <laughs> yeah I mean, so the, the only two goals they scored in regulation was against england and in netherlands in the group stage now this was one of the issues that would change four years later because ireland and many other countries in this world cup were playing for a draw instead of a win so in this world cup it was two points for a win and one point for a draw that would change four years later the next day, West Germany beat Czechoslovakia one to nothing, and England beat Cameroon in extra time three to two. That was an awesome game. Yeah, that was an awesome game too, man. That England uh, Cameroon game, dude. England was probably shitting a brick because Cameroon went up like two nothing in that game, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they just took England by surprise, and you could even hear it in the announcers' voices how worried they were. And then finally, in the second half, 
angling, throwing things around. They tie the game up, and then they end up winning in extras. But for a minute there, if you were a fan of England, you were worried mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that game, for, for sure. sure. That's a good one. That's a, that's a fun rewatch, too. Yeah. So the first game of the semifinals had Argentina facing Italy and Naples. Now, this one was an interesting matchup because Naples was the city Diego Maradona was playing for professionally. And Maradona, who's revered in Naples, tried to persuade the people of Napoli to root for Argentina. What? Really? <laughs> he tried to get, yeah, he tried to get, they did not. They, That's uh, funny. Yeah, they posted signs <laughs> saying, Naples loves Maradona, but loves Italy more. Yeah, that'd be like LeBron going back to Cleveland and being like, hey man, root for the Lakers. Trust me, like, like no. it's cool. Yeah, Maradona understood their sentiment and appreciated the fact that Naples was the one city that didn't boo the Argentinian national anthem. Oh, they, so they did respect. They respected respect him yeah. enough to not boo him. Not boo him, right, yeah. I got to sure. boo him, but at least not boo him, yeah. Because, yeah, revered in Naples. He totally changed that city around because they're in the south where, you know, the north cities, they kind of look down upon the south. So Naples is kind of has humble kind of a humble city and Diego Maradona grew up in humble beginnings kind of with a perfect marriage of Maradona going into Naples so when he signed with Napoli they had 75,000 people in the stadium just for his announcement as a player oh wow <laughs> yeah. that's, that's awesome yeah. <laughs> that's a welcoming dude yeah well the Italians got ahead in the first half from a goal by Salvatore Toto Shalacci. Argentina evened up the score in the second Schilacci. half. Schilacci. 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 Schilacci was awesome, bro. Yeah. Again, I don't know much about soccer, but watching these, these 90, 1990 World Cup highlights, Schilacci was killing it, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah. You heard that name time and time again because that guy was all over the field. And, his, and he has a fun name, too. Schilacci. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it would be Diego Maradona who would seal the deal for Argentina by scoring the fourth goal in the shootout after extra time. Now, West Germany and England faced off on July 4th, 1990. It was an eventful day in London. Nelson Mandela was visiting Margaret Thatcher, and the Rolling Stones were in town putting on a concert. But that didn't matter, because half of the country was tuned in to this semifinal match. That's a big one. Yeah, it was a big match for England. I mean, it was a big match. Probably the biggest the match country. that they've had in, in their country's in football history, right? Yeah, Let's be honest. Like, that was one of the biggest matches they had since, like, they won in 66. So, yeah, that was a big deal yeah. for the whole country. It was, it was going that far. Sure. One of the lasting image of this particular match is the tears of Paul Gascoigne, the English midfielder. Have you ever seen the picture of him with the shirt? So Gascoigne was mm-hmm. issued a second yellow card in the cup, which meant he would not be able to play in the final if England ended up winning. And he was just heartbroken over it. Yeah. No, there's that, that shot of him about to get, you know, mm-hmm. leave the field. And like, you can yeah. just see the heartbreak on his face. Yeah. West Germany ended up with the win after extras in the shootout. Three days later, the third yeah. place game was played between Italy and England with host nation Italy beating England 2-1. to one. So now it's down to two teams, West Germany and Argentina. The World Cup final took place on July 8, 1990 in Rome in front of 73,603 people. The match itself has been called 
one of the most cynical and lowest quality of all the World Cup finals. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Which is interesting because, I mean, again, not knowing much about soccer, it's, I guess they didn't score a lot in this World Cup. They which doesn't not. really that doesn't you know beg for entertaining soccer I guess it does not it really does not it also had the Italian people now rooting against Diego Maradona because Argentina knocked out Italy sure so not only was Italy rooting against Argentina they were rooting for West Germany because five of the players on the West German team played professionally in Italy yeah no it was a awesome final man yeah so they had a real rooting interest so it was. The whole World Cup was full of drama, but the gameplay itself was extremely dull. <laughs> sure, yeah. They needed, you know, the Maradonas and the Scalacci's of the tournament, and then, you know, the surprise teams like Cameroon who mm-hmm. had to add some spice to the to the tournament, so to speak, and add some more flair to what was, like you said, a pretty boring World mm-hmm. Cup. The, saw a couple of historical firsts. This would be the first time a player is sent off in a World Cup final when Argentina's Pedro Monzon was given a red card and sent off for a foul on Jurgen Klinsmann. And for Argentina, this would be the first time a team didn't score a goal in the World Cup final. It's Argentina, man. They were good. Yeah. You know, they, were, they were really good for a long time. And Maradona, let's be honest, wasn't the same Maradona from the 86 team. He was know. not. No. He was... He was getting towards the end of his career there, and he was kind of carrying the team on his back for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. So, at least in the only final play. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, it was not the same. Like, Maradona had one of the best World Cups any player has ever had in 86, but he just was not, didn't have that same success. The only goal coming in at the 85-minute mark on a penalty kick. And with its third World Cup title, West Germany became the most successful World Cup nation at the time, along with Italy and Brazil for three titles. This would be the final tournament for West Germany before reunification. Franz Beckenbauer became the first man to both captain and manage a winning World Cup team. It was also the first time a team from UEFA, so that's the Union of European Football Association, there's probably a different way to pronounce that, like UEFA or something, but that's... Uh, yeah, UEFA. UEFA, there it is. Yeah, so the first time a team from UEFA won the final against a non-European team. Hmm. And speaking of Talachi, the Golden Boot Award for top scorer for the World Cup was Salvatore Tito Talachi, who also received the Golden Ball Award as best player of the cup by scoring six goals. Yeah, so he was like, the, yeah, he was a top scorer of the cup. The 1990 World Cup is ranked as one of the most watched sporting events in television history, with an estimated 26.69 billion non-unique viewers over the course of the tournament. So that's like a YouTube equivalent. So it's 26.6 billion views. Huh. That's, that's a lot of views, yeah. That's wild. It was one of the most watched. World Cups, but it was also one of the poorest in terms of the games themselves. As we mentioned, the games had an average of 2.2 goals per game, a record that still stands. Now, with England coming in fourth, it gave way to a resurgence in popularity of football in England. Morale in England was at an all-time low with a major recession and rampant hooliganism. This World Cup changed the way England was perceived on the world stage, 
and also how England perceived themselves. England's rejuvenation to the game would make way for the birth of the Premier League just a few years later. And I think it had a lot to do with it. You know, like the Premier League is the highest level of competition in the world, you know, for most. And uh, this, I think this World Cup had a lot to do with this resurgence of England. Well, yeah, didn't they? I mean, it, that England team had that one stud, they, that dude that got knocked out of the game, right? With mm. The yellow card. What was his name? Uh, Paul Gascoigne. Yeah. Yeah, he was really Gas- young at Gascoigne, the time. Gascoigne, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, he was, a, he was a young, you know, moderately successful pop star in England. A burgeoning pop star, if you will. <laughs> and so, like... He definitely sort of transcended the game of football into the other spheres, which like when you now you see the sort of the David Beckhams of the world, I'm sure that they had that as a model to look at and be like, oh, man, like, look at Gascon. Like he, you know, not only, you know, helped put this football team uh, and help raise their level of play, but then on the world stage was also like, I mean, this guy was like making music too. And uh, they were just having fun. The whole team, like they were having fun and they were had a great camaraderie and that, Bit up on the field for him. So. Yeah, I mean, he. What did he have? Like a platinum record, right? Right before they went <laughs> to the final. Did I send you that video? England's team had their own official song. You know, yeah, the official songs of like FIFA, but then the England's team had their own song. Right. So it wasn't by Depeche Mode, but that other pop rock band, British pop rock. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. Sam Blake in here. New Order. New Order. Yeah. yeah that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so England had a bunch of songs each World Cup for kind of like a rally song, but they were just kind of old and just kind of outdated and kind of just thrown together. But then, sure. yeah, they got together with New Order to be actually create a uh, like a actually good song. Nice, very synth heavy, I'm sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this World Cup also saw two major rule changes to combat the lack of scoring. The back pass rule would be introduced in 1992. The back pass rule prohibits goalkeepers from handling the ball after it has been deliberately kicked to them by a teammate. You know, we went, they want to encourage offense, so by just kicking the ball back to the goaltender, you saw that a, a decent amount in this World Cup, and it just really slows down the whole game. Yeah, we don't, we don't need goalies being a part of the offense. So another major change would occur four years later at the next World Cup when teams would get three points for a win instead of two to force teams to play for the win rather than to play for a draw. Makes sense. I mean, I'm sure, yeah, that's more incentive to win, right? Like, how yeah, so be- would you want to play for a draw when you can get three points for a win? Right, so that definitely changed the nature of the World Cup going forward. Yeah. Now it's time for a segment we like to call In the World That Week. In world news, a week before West Germany won the World Cup, the German reunification continues as both East and West Germany merge their economies. The West German Deutsche Mark now is, becomes the official currency of Germany. Why not? So this is the whole step-by-step process to reunite the country, and that's a, that's a big step. In other sports, Martina Navratilova wins the women's Wimbledon, while Stefan Edberg won the men's Wimbledon. In U.S. news, the G7 Summit is held in Houston, Texas. The Group of Seven was an unofficial forum which brought together the heads of the richest industrialized countries, Canada, France, West Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, and the United States. The number one movie at the box office. I'll give you a few hints. 
it's an action movie sequel that takes place at the airport. Now, in the movie, the main character shoots blanks at Dennis Franz, a precipitous Dennis Franz, mind you. <laughs> okay. Uh, shoot a sequel, action sequel? John Amos is the shoot. main villain along with William Sadler. If I gave the title character away, it would just... Oh, jeez, I know. Let's see, sequel. Sequel to the... Die Hard 2? Yeah, there it is. Nice. (laughs) Die Harder? I had to give you the full title. Die Hard 2 took in $21.7 million in its opening weekend. The number one fiction book at the start of this World Cup. It's a post-apocalyptic dark fantasy novel originally released in 1978. But an extended version was released in 1990. You mentioned in the first episode that you used to read this guy. Stephen King. Yes. Yeah. And the book? So... It got turned into a TV miniseries in 1994. The Tommyknockers? No. It's not that one? The Stand? The Stand. And look what I have in my hands. Nice. Look at that. This 1990 copy of The Stand. Original for... Yeah, look at that. This is yes. That's a good uh, first first edition right there. This look is at you. this is the 1990 complete uncut edition that they re-released that year. Dude, I want to read that. I started reading it, and then I'm only like 48 pages into 1100. <laughs> but if you want to read it first, Dude, go for it. These books are so so like dense. You know what I mean with detail. I tried to get. I tried to read it, but it's just like he goes off. For like two pages describing like this character's backstory, and I'm like, where is this going? And then I get lost right, in right. it. I'm like, ugh. So I gotta like. You really gotta set some time aside, some mental energy to read it, Stephen. You really do, because I've tried reading a couple, and it's like, and then he uses these words where it's like he does, where it's like you gotta look them up. You gotta look them. I had to like write a list of down of like a dozen words I had literally have never seen before in my life. Not even never ever, heard in your life. Not even right? seen in a Jeopardy episode. I've like never seen these words before. I'm like he's he's one of the goats, man. He's yeah. Shout out to Stephen King. Yeah, he's a great writer. He really is. and I love like I love the the Richard Bachman series with the Running Man. Yeah. And the Long Walk. Yeah, I listen. Yeah, that's I I'm a big fan of that. I'd say I would probably. Do better listening to audiobooks of Stephen King than trying to read a Stephen King novel. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, they're, they are long. It's, it's you know, you're, de- you're, you're setting aside some time to read one. Yeah. So I listened to the entire audiobook of The Running Man, and I loved it. I thought it was awesome. And I wish they would do a direct oh, yeah. adaptation. Like, of course, the Schwarzenegger movie, big fan, of course. But I would love it if they would do a direct adaptation of the book because it's more like The Amazing Race. Where sure. Richards has to go across the whole country. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like that. It's like... Yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, the number one song in America that week? Boy Band. Title track to their third album. Blank, blank, blank. Ooh, baby. New Kids on the Block? Yep. Step by step. <laughs> 1990. Oh, yeah, for sure. This is 1990 again. Yes. Yeah, there's... Yeah, man. There was no bigger band than right. New Kids, right? So that wraps it up for another episode of Sports in the 90s. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we've enjoyed making it. Questions, comments, concerns, or critiques, you can email us at sportsinthe90s at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok. Yeah, man. Carlos will be doing, uh, he'll be playing around with TikTok. <laughs> I'll be getting out there. 
there's going to be some fun stuff that we're going to be doing for this because uh, you know we've got a lot of we've got a lot of sports fans out here in LA, Dave, and I think I'm going to go out there and talk to the people on the streets. This is going to be a segment we're going to call "Sports in the Streets," and uh, I'm going to go around with a microphone and see if I can get some people to tell me uh, if they know sports trivia from the '90s. Mm-hmm. So that that's going to be coming around one of these days to a TikTok near you. Yeah, and we can definitely when I come out to you in September, we can definitely do that. Like I can record, I can you know, hold the camera and you can do the segment. We can easily go down to Santa Monica Pier, walk a little bit further, go to Venice Beach and do that. So yeah. Dude, we've got Hollywood right around the corner too. So like, for sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Might be, it's, you just go on Hollywood Boulevard, you can yeah. get comedy gold on that street. So. <laughs> yeah. That's cool, man. I'll let you know how it goes. The sports in the street. Yeah. We talked about that and I love it. I think it's a great idea and I'm, I definitely want to do it with, with you out there in a few months time so yeah have fun with tiktok go nuts i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna mess around and, and see if i can get some uh you know some tidbits some little promos stuff that we can cut to uh get get our faces out there along with the audio because we know how much you love listening to our voices but people love to see the the face behind the voice so to speak yeah for sure so we're gonna give the people what they want get people to get to know us a little bit better yeah for sure dude cool but uh but yeah man I can't wait for the next episode, dude. What are we going to... Wait, hang on. You going to tell me what we're doing next next week or what? Oh, yeah. Hang on. There's a preview. Oh, are you giving me an Easter egg? What's behind you right there? Hang on. Yeah, I got the soccer ball for this episode. Get the right? soccer ball. And then next to I me is a... I can't see the other thing. Is that a volleyball? It's a baseball. I wish they had a volleyball. Huh. It's All a right. baseball because we're going to be talking about Jose and... Ozzy Canseco, his twin brother. We're going to do an episode about Jose Canseco and, yeah, talk a little about his upbringing along with his twin brother's upbringing and his story and how Jose Canseco became one of the most controversial figures in baseball. But he was right about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he necessarily was in the thick of it in 1990, but he definitely was a player that people hadn't seen do things on the baseball field before. Yeah, we'll be talking about his impact. You know, first first 40-40, man. That's right. So we'll be talking about his career and his overall impact on the game of baseball. That's going to be a good one, Dave. I can't wait. For sure, yeah. Do you remember that time we saw Jose Canseco hit a home run at the White Sox game and we were eating like prime rib inside the signature room? Oh, you mean July 4th, 2001 when they played the Minnesota Twins and we went to the stadium club? Yes, that day, Dave. Stadium club, that's what I was called. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling somebody at work about that story the other day. <laughs> we, uh, like Brian's dad got mad at us for his uh, uncle. Yeah, his uncle. <laughs> hey, his uncle. Hey, his uncle put those stadium club passes in there. I don't know what he expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a bunch of teenagers like going to a White Sox game and Jose Canseco uh, hit a walk off. He hit day. a home run that great. game. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, good times. <laughs> cool. But uh, yeah, we'll be talking to him about him on the next episode of the Sports of the Nineties podcast. So, right. Dave. Love you, bro. I, uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. Cool. Until next time, this is Dave Smith. And Carlos Vega. Reminding you to think when you drink and to reduce, reuse, recycle. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sports in the 90s. They get scared when I pull my mic.